Now, in all honesty, uh, some of you are a little bit uh, behind as far as the study because uh, we ran out of books. And so, again, I thought I had enough, didn't have enough, but I got those as quickly as possible. What we're going to study tonight and look at tonight is the first uh, section. Uh, And we're going to kind of go through it day by day. This is a a five-day-a-week study. And so you can do it uh, five days. You can divide it to three days. You can divide it across seven days. It's really up to you. Uh, But we give you enough material here, five days worth of material to do between our sessions. So we're going to look at week one tonight. And I want to remind you again that this is not going to be a lecture. It's not going to be that type of class. I'm going to ask a lot of questions. And I really want your feedback. And I want your input. And we're going to go basically day by day. And so if you are um, not up where we are at the moment, don't feel like you're left behind. You can go back and catch up. And uh, you know, last time we just kind of introduced the material to you, introduced the topic. And if you didn't come last week, you got out of you got out easy because the group last week got a pop quiz. And uh, and I encourage that group to hang on to that pop quiz because uh, I want to compare notes at the end. Uh, but um, that being said, we want to jump in tonight. And uh, one of the main points of group Bible study is to learn from each other. Uh, as we've each studied the Scripture and we have insight into the Scripture, the Holy Spirit can... Uh, use a brother or sister to give us fresh insight and to mention something we didn't notice and then maybe use you to mention something they didn't notice. And so we are doing a biblically-based study. And so if you're here for the first night tonight, I know some have come in just for tonight, um, you say, well, where does all this come from? This is not Randy Alcorn's uh, imagination run wild. Okay, What he's taken and, and done here is he's studied the Scripture and then he has um, written a book And what you're basically holding in your hands is kind of a a distillation of this big, massive tome on heaven, over 500 pages. It's interesting, though, I went back and compared the book to the workbook, and so far it's tit for tat. You pretty much have everything uh, up to that point for the most part. Now, obviously, they're going to have to trim some material, and so there's a lot more in this book, but you have enough there to chew on uh, for a long time. So let's get started tonight. As we look, if you're on your, uh, if you're in your book, page seven. Hope you brought your Bible. If not, be sure to bring your Bible back. Uh, we will make reference to different verses, but we're on page seven, and day one, and we want to get started tonight. And uh, we've got a chair up here. Now again, I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to give time for you to respond. Please respond. If not, this is going to be one of the shortest Bible studies you ever went to. I think. Okay? Because I'm, I'm going to do my best to facilitate this discussion. If you look there at the very beginning of the study, page 7, week 1, it says, Realizing our destiny. Realizing our destiny. What do you think? What do you think uh, when you hear or read the word Destiny. In fact, how many of you use the word destiny today in your conversation? How many of you use the word destiny this past week in your conversation? Last month? Well, our memories are too bad, right? But when you hear the word destiny, or you read the word destiny, what do you think of? What's going to happen in the future, or where you're going in the future? All right, what's going to happen in the future, where you're going in the future? All right, good. Somebody else. What was meant to be. What was meant to be. Okay. Any other thoughts? 
something that probably is a little more definite than that. It's, it's like something that's mapped out for you that you have no control over. Okay. It's your destiny. Okay. And that's kind of the way I was thinking about it more. So, like, uh, when I think about destiny, I was thinking about it as I was taking my walk today. Destiny, um, in my mind, it's like what you were uh, designed to do or be or go. It's a, a path, if you will. But there, all of you are hitting right around that. It's not a word we use a lot, is it? Our destiny, unless we're like, you know, authors who come to my workshop and discover your destiny, or we're televangelists and we're selling our Discover Your Destiny set. Uh, but we're going to talk about our destiny. And you were asked there, are you looking forward to heaven? Now, were you as surprised as I was as you opened these uh, books up and you read about the pastor and the very opening uh, paragraph? A pastor, in fact, if you weren't, if you didn't get a book, and I'm going to do a little bit of rehashing today because everybody's on the same page. But let me just read what it says here. Randy said, a pastor, reading on page seven, a pastor once confessed to me, whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. Now, that is, it does say a pastor said this, right? I just want to cease to exist when I die. I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium to float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp. It's all so terribly boring. Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. Now, what, what was your first response? I know Mr. William and uh, Mr. William and Miss Rudy caught me after uh, study last week and pointed that out. But what was your first response when you read that? What kind of preacher is he? Okay, what kind of preacher is he? What kind of doctrine is he listening to? Yeah, that's unsettling to say the least. Wouldn't you love to be in his congregation? I'm going to heaven. Don't want to. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it was it was definitely yeah it was definitely depressed. They didn't sing about heaven probably either then, right? Because I mean, think about the songs. What are some of the songs we sing about heaven? When we all get to heaven, what a day of depression that will be, right? That's his version. No, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Wonder how he preached a funeral. Yeah. I hope he didn't. Well, actually, I feel sorry for him in so many ways. And it asked the question, where did this Bible-believing, seminary-educated pastor get such a view of heaven? Obviously not from the Scripture, because that's not the view the Scripture uh, talks about. Well, uh, that's the first thing I found out about this book right here. I had read no further, and when I heard that, I don't believe I like that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he needs to see. Well, I'm hoping Randy Alcorn talk with him, and, and he talks more about it in here that he, he talked about an English vicar. Uh, did you find that on page 8 down at the bottom? When a colleague asked an English vicar what he expected after death, he replied, Well, if it comes to that, I suppose I shall enter into eternal bliss, but I really wish you wouldn't bring up such depressing subjects. Okay. So he says over the past 15 years, he's received thousands of letters and has had hundreds of conversations concerning heaven at conferences, at churches. And he te- teaches a class called a theology of heaven. But he's surprised and was talking about the fact of how many people 
have such an askewed uh, view of heaven, a, a fearful view of heaven, a, a dreading of heaven. Um, is that what the Bible teaches? Should that be our mindset when it comes to heaven? Now, you were asked to check some boxes on page 8. How do you feel about heaven? And here are your options. I'm so excited about heaven, I can hardly stand it. I just don't think about heaven at all. I fear heaven. I'm dreading heaven. Could we talk about something else, uh, please? Um, I don't necessarily want to ask you to share. If somebody wants to share, that's fine. I'll be honest with you. I kind of drew my own box. Yeah. Did y'all do that too? I, I kind of <laughs> fell underneath. I'm so excited about heaven. I can't hardly stand it. To where I'm looking forward to heaven, and I'm and I'm, I'm praying that you know maybe I'll get to that point through this study. Um, but I, I kind of fell in between. Now, if you're dreading heaven, if you fear heaven, if you want to talk about something else, well, if you want to talk about something else, you probably wouldn't be here tonight. But I'm hoping and praying that if that's you or you're not sure much about heaven, that this study will be an eye-opening um, course for you. Where do these... I think in our minds, though, we try to do all that we can here, and when we reach that point, uh, we we want to cross that wide divide. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, death worse our sting. Yeah. You're talking about, in other words, you're not ready to go tonight. Right. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. You're I'm ready, not. but you don't. Your bag's not packed. Yeah. We won't stay here as long as we can, yeah. but we're ready. Yeah. I still got things to do here. <laughs> we think. Ronnie, I just think of that back in my past at this church and whatever, more time was spent on hell and the preaching during that time, and I don't think hell has been given an equal shape. Mm-hmm. We know all about hell, but we don't know so much about mm-hmm. heaven. We never were told much yeah. about heaven. Yeah. Other than it's, a, it's, it's the better... Yeah, <laughs> and I always, I always made the comment, and that some of you probably heard when we talked about this, that never preach hell without preaching heaven. Never preach on sin without preaching the gospel. You know, there's a balance there. You know, because the reason that Christ came was to deliver us from sin and hell and that bondage to give us forgiveness and hope and heaven. But I, I know what you're talking about. And I've been told that many times um, here, and we still preach on hell. In fact, we talk about hell in this particular course. But it is a, and as you can see, they're not, they're not. Uh, Perfectly counterbalanced. Y'all, y'all saw that, and we'll talk more about it. But where does he, where did he mention he thinks a lot of this misconception comes from? I mean, we know people don't study the Bibles, but is there anything else going on that would cause people to dread and fear and be depressed and so forth about heaven? We well, have to die to get there. Okay, death is part of it. The devil and his lies. I don't know if you caught that on page nine uh, about Satan. Uh, he believes, and I think he's right, that Satan is at work. Uh, to destroy uh, our view of the glorious heaven that God has prepared for us and is preparing for us. Um, It says there, and we'll start getting some of these, it says, what benefits, page 9, what benefits do you think Satan hopes to get from teaching us to dread heaven? If he can get you to dread heaven, what does that do for him? You're not a good witness. Alright. You're not a good witness. I doubt that preacher was a real soul winner, do you? <laughs> Let me tell you some bad news. You don't want to go to heaven. Um, you know, that that's pretty sad. But we go out and we tell people the good news. Right? But if he can get us dreading heaven, fearful of heaven, doubting heaven, then it robs us of that. Alright, what else? The joy. 
It robs you of joy. If you're going to go out to the great unknown, there's fear, there's trepidation. Yeah. We're talking the being control. This our whole society, you know, being control and take care of things, and it's it's a here and now. You know what you got right now, but we don't know about that, and you don't have any control over that much. But we yeah. have control over this, so that's what kind of we're. we're so talking. kind of live for this we then. So it's turning a focus of. You know, laying up treasures in heaven. Get them now where you can see them and enjoy them. And, yeah, don't focus on heaven. Focus on now. Okay, so it can get us off of thinking eternal uh, thoughts and on eternal things. Anybody else see anything there? Uh, look at the last paragraph on page nine. This was a pretty awesome sentence. Satan hates the new heaven and the new earth as much as a, dispo- a depo- disposed dictator hates the new nation and new government that replaces his. Why? Because Satan's been cast out of heaven. Now, as I talked to you about a couple weeks ago on Sunday, he obviously has limited access right now. You go back and read the book of Job. You know, he presented himself with others. He said, where have you been, Satan, walking to and fro from all the earth, uh, going up and down in it, because he's not omnipresent like God. Uh, so he's the accuser of the brethren. We've been studying that in Revelation. But we saw just the... Two weeks ago, now I'm trying to think Sundays, we, we studied the red dragon, Revelation chapter 12. There's coming a day where he's going to be permanently cast out. Now, right now he's cast out. That's not his residence. He has limited access to heaven. But there's coming a day where we have no access to heaven. In fact, we know what his ultimate destiny is. Uh, for him now is the lake of fire. And that's something that he chose. That wasn't the original uh, thing that God had for him, obviously. Uh, but he rebelled against God. But uh, Satan's at work. And he wants to rob us of our joy and our peace. Well, there's a question on page 10. All right. It's in big, bold letters. How can we correct our inaccurate ideas about heaven? How can we correct our inaccurate ideas about heaven? Okay. Study the Bible. Study those who study the Bible. Uh, look at what God has revealed to us. Share with one another another insights and things that you're learning. Uh, Because as you're probably already seeing, uh, we're not turning just to, quote, unquote, the heaven chapter. Now, there are chapters that speak more about heaven than maybe other chapters. But there are things being brought from various places in the scripture. And, of course, we've we've gotten a pretty good glimpse of heaven so far in Revelation. The throne and the elders and those worshiping and so forth. But there's a question that you answered on page 11. What practical impact might an excitement about and longing for heaven have on your Christian life? In other words, if you got excited about heaven, how would that impact your Christian life? Be a better witness. All right, be a better witness because you'd be excited, excited about heaven, excited about eternity. You'd be more joyful. Yeah, more joyful. Absolutely. Actually, you'd end up doing more witnessing. More witnessing. Because the fact is. Positive the more you realize that's where you want to be, you want to share it with those that you love yeah. and care about. Yeah. I'd like to do things to get rewards because it would be, it's going to be awful to stand before Jesus and not have something to put at his feet. Mm-hmm. And some say, well, you're, you're wrong and think about rewards, but God talks about rewards. He mentions rewards as obviously a motivation. And if he says, here are rewards I have for you, then he wants you to strive in his power to receive those rewards. You have the crowns and things. Yeah, good. 
Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go day by day. Okay, so we're day one, and we're just kind of hitting some of the highlights. I will ask you if you would, and I should have mentioned this at the beginning, we're going to try to keep contain our thoughts to what we've covered so far. This study, as you notice, is going to continue building. And so I don't want to get way on what we're going to be covering later. But anything else from day one? So day one, any insights, any thoughts, anything that really stood out from you or to you? Uh, so that takes you up to page 11. Okay, because this is your Bible study. This is our group's Bible study. Anything else that you marked? Anything else that really just was a blessing or something that you wanted to mention? Something I heard on radio probably a week or so ago. We were talking about time. And uh, the pastor that was talking about it had mentioned the fact that uh, you know, we, we live within time constraints. You know, God created time. That's his invention. But when we get to heaven, you know, the song says, well, we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. Yeah. That's, an, that's an inaccuracy. Mm-hmm. 10,000 years won't exist. Mm-hmm. We will just be there. Mm-hmm. there. There won't be time. So the idea that it's going to be boring, we're going to be there for 10,000 years with nothing to do, and it's going to be boring, that, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. We need to, well, we you know, idea. Bible study has ruined a lot of good songs. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the songs we sing, it's not quite right, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, God is transcendent. He's above time. He's not bound, but that's why he can look in our lives from the beginning to end. He sees it all. We can't get our arms. I can't get my arms wrapped around eternity forever. No ending. It's well beyond us. We think about the thousand year millennium that you know we read about in Revelation. No man has ever lived a thousand years. The oldest man was, do you remember his name? Methuselah. Methuselah, and he lived how much? 969 years. And that's as close as anyone has come. Uh, but God is eternal, because you really want to blow your mind. Think about that God existed forever in what we would call the past, <coughs> forever into the, he's eternal. There's no beginning, no end. That's a good thought. Well, day two. Let's move into day two. It's heaven beyond our imagination. Talks about that we have a terminal disease as humans. All of us are affected by it. Uh, what is that disease called? Mortality. Mortality. The death rate is 100%, which that's not exactly accurate. We could we could say, wait, right? If we want to be real technical, there are two Bible characters that never died, right? You had two. The first one's in Genesis. His name is Enoch. Enoch walked with God and was not for God. Took him. And the second one was named Elijah. Um, But listen to this. This is in the big book that Randy wrote. Three people die every second. Three people just die. Three people just die. Three people just die. 180 people die every minute. Now think about that. Nearly 11,000 die every hour. So while we're having this Bible study, on average 11,000 people are going to die. If the Bible is right about what happens to us after death, it means that more than 250,000 people go every day to either heaven or hell. There's no other place they're going. They're stepping out into eternity and they're going to heaven or they're going to hell. 250,000 on average a day dying. And so we realize that we are surrounded by death. Now, look at the question, page 12. List as many reasons as you can why our culture fears and denies death. It says plan to discuss this in your group session. So I hope you saw that last little part there. 
What did you put there? How many reasons did you list out, or what did you list out of why our culture fears and denies death? I think we fear because it's unknown. unknown. All right, the unknown factor. They don't have Jesus. Okay, some don't know the Savior, don't have Jesus. I also put media. I think the media scares us to pieces sometimes. Okay. Media input, all right. Lack of knowledge, lack of reading the Bible, lack of understanding yeah. the process. So I think everybody has a, a basic fear of the unknown, their death, and that might be on that first page. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Since Christianity is not the major religion in the world, all the others teach you got to work, do this and do that, and there's always that doubt if you're done enough. Okay. Are you ever going to get there? Those who are trying to work their yeah. way, am, am I good enough? Did I do enough? Of course, we know the truth to that. None of us do enough, and none of us are good enough. There's none righteous, none not one. There's no good one. It's only through Christ and His finished work. And if you don't study that, you don't have it. Yeah. That and the Holy Spirit yeah. gives you peace. Yeah. The knowledge. And I don't know that it's fear, but we love our life on earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't want to get back. This is the known. Yeah. Gene's ready to live on another 10, 15, 20, 50 years. It sounds like he's got so many projects. <laughs> <laughs> Bet, has Betty made a list that long for you? The honeydew list? We're working on you and <laughs> <laughs> Now, well, we're all that way, aren't we? We all want to be. But we do get to a point, we have a dear sister I've mentioned earlier. She's ready to go now. She told me the other night, I'm ready. I'm ready to go to heaven. I said, you're ready to see Jesus? She said, yes. So God does get us to that point as we know him. Uh, if we, we give an opportunity, some of us go out, you know, some people go out fast, don't some slowly. I put down uh, two more, if I could share my answer. Leaving loved ones behind. Who wants to leave their loved Well. Hopefully you don't want to leave your loved ones. Uh, you know, people you love, your family. And then I put another one is the lack of control. We have no control over that. Uh, I mean, we can possibly prolong our lives. We can try to be as healthy. We can eat. We can do all sorts of things. But no matter what we do, there's a day appointed where we're going to have uh, an appointment with death. And so Jesus came to deliver us from the fear of death. Uh, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, so that by his death, I'm reading right there underneath that question, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Um, there is a fear, though, and even sometimes believers struggle with that fear. And so do you believe that a study like this where you begin to focus on heaven and focus on God's promises does that help to alleviate those fears at all? Yes. It should. It should. Um, I'm just curious. Has anybody in here ever done an extensive study on heaven where you've taken the Bible? I know that some of you did some at BBS one year, but I mean an extensive, in-depth study on heaven. Okay. Could it be that there are verses in the Bible that we maybe have read but kind of missed the the relationship to heaven, or we just kind of glanced over, or you were doing your Bible reading in a year, and, and there's a lot of verses, maybe we've just kind of glanced over. You talked about a moment ago that the focus here for many years was, you know, we heard a lot about hell, and we'll talk about hell in a moment. But we, you know, heaven is just, 
he mentioned about uh, the theologians. And out of curiosity, I got some my theology books down and just started looking. And it was amazing to me to see that there, and a lot of them was very little. You know, they were trying to touch on heaven and move on. I was counting my library. I probably got at least 15 or so books just dealing with heaven itself. But a lot of times we talk about heaven and we mention heaven and we kind of know what we're talking about in our own minds, but we really don't have a full grasp. What I appreciate Randy's doing so far is bringing in the element of not only heaven, the new heaven, but the new earth. And we'll be talking more about that uh, in a little bit. But um, as you look at this, you talked about imagining heaven. Now, before we talk about that, how should we approach any teaching in God's word? If we're going to look at God's word and we're going to go and say we're going to study, we're studying heaven, we could do any of this. We could say we're going to study marriage. We're going to study sin. uh, We're going to study um, hell. uh, We're going to study prophecy. How do we approach God's word? How do we do that? It's literal. Okay, so we believe it's uh, literal. We look at the context of the scripture. Well, in fact, would you do me a favor if you have a Bible? Who will look up for us? Let me give you three scriptures for you to read. Who will look up Acts 17.11? All right, if you'll look up Acts 17.11, Miss Teresa. Who will look up? Marlene, would you look up? You had your hand up. First John 4, 1 through 3. And then who will look up? First Thessalonians 5.21. First Thessalonians. So you've got Acts 17.11. She's got First John 4, 1 through 3. Who will look up? First Thessalonians chapter... Uh, 5, verse 21. Anybody? Mm-hmm. All right, Miss Priscilla, if you'll look that one up. Yeah. I may get you in a moment with another scripture in just a little bit. All right, so we're thinking about approaching God's Word and teaching uh, what God's Word teaches. Miss um, Teresa, would you read Acts 17.11, please? These Jews were more receptive than those in Thessalonica, for they welcomed the message very eagerly and examined the scriptures every day to see whether these things were so. Okay, thank you. So they welcomed the teaching, and then they checked the teaching by the Word of God. That, that was the Which group was that? Do you remember? That was a more noble group, wasn't it? The Jews. Yeah. Um, so we have, um, I think it's the Bereans, some translations have. I need to go back and look that up. I know the Bereans search the scriptures every day as well. So, when you're listening to teaching, so if I'm teaching you, if I'm preaching somebody else, if Randy Alcorn's writing, what should you be doing? Comparing. comparing exactly. Comparing what you're hearing, what you're being told to what the Bible teaches. Now, what I try to do uh, when I'm preaching on a Sunday, and you, you hopefully see this, is we'll take, for instance, we'll take Revelation chapter 14 this week, and we'll walk through pretty much Revelation 14. I'm pretty much a textual um, preacher. I stick to the text expositorily. When you do topical, it's a little bit different because you have to go to many different texts. So it's a little bit uh, more turning and following. But when you take a passage of Scripture, so we're looking at heavens. This is a topic. So we're looking at these various verses and pulling together the truth. All right, 1 John 4, 1 through 3, please. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. 
All right, thank you. So let's just summarize that at the very most basic level. What did that passage tell us to do? Test the spirits. Let's simplify it even more. Don't believe everything you hear. Test everything you hear by the Word of God. Make sure that lines up with Scripture. God will never, mark it down in big, bold, black letters where you can see it. God will never lead you contrary to His Word. Never. And so if some spirit that's leading you contrary to this book, it's not the Holy Spirit. It might be a demonic spirit. It might be something else. But God will always lead you according to his word because he's the author of this book. This book is inspired, infallible, inerrant, authoritative. And he, God breathed this book through human authors. But it's the word of God and he will never lead you contrary to the book. So don't believe everything you hear because not everyone's telling you the truth. And then finally, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Prove all things. All right, so prove all things. Again, test it. Make sure. And I want to say that to you up front because as we go through this, this is Randy's a, a great uh, Bible scholar and he loves the Lord. He's done his very best. But we're to be weighing these things out. And I encourage you to do the same when I'm preaching and teaching or whoever it may be to weigh it out according to the Scripture. Now, on page 13, you were kind of given an apologetic question. Apologetics is the defense of the faith, if you will. How would you answer the person who insisted is wrong to picture heaven as a physical place. Because apparently some people think that heaven is, I don't know, heaven is a, I'm already having trouble because it's not a physical place. But anyway, how would you answer first? Oh, it's not a physical place. It's a, it's a feeling. Uh, it's an emotion. It's a, it's a, a warm, dimension. yeah, another dimension. It's a warm, fuzzy, furry, comfy place. Um, Cloud it's a cloud, yeah. It's uh, it's foo foo and all kinds of stuff. But how would you answer a person? Listen, heaven is not a physical place. Well, Jesus told us that when he left, he was going to prepare a place. There you us. go. There you go. Exactly. I used that in a, a funeral uh, real recently. Read that passage. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I go to prepare a place. Okay, that's good. They would likewise probably believe that hell is not a real place either. Okay. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And and he ascended back to the Father. Um, so you're right. And our resurrected bodies are going to be a glorified, literal body. You know, we're looking forward to that day. And so if it's, what I jotted down too, and I've thought about this for a while, if it's not a physical place, then how can we as physical, you know, hopefully glorified beings with a literal glorified body, how can we experience it? How can we truly live there? How can we, I mean, because, Right? Any other thoughts there? Floating around in the clouds of your spirits. We're just going to float around like Casper the Friendly Ghost. You know? <laughs> is, is heaven a physical place right now? I mean, it's, if it is, it's not a physical place that we can attain on our own. We can't go there. No, we can't go there. So, you know, that leaves us, well, then where is it? Well, we can go there once we die, yeah. Yeah, but we just can't stand and get in the spaceship because we'll only get to that 
second, second heaven. heaven yeah. You know, the Bible talks about the third heaven is what Paul and what that's the. You have basically the three heavens, if you will, right? So you have the first heaven as you go outside and look around, and it's the the blue sky and the clouds and stuff. Then the second heaven is that you know what asteroids and the universe and the solar system and then it's the third heaven and Paul went and was able to see the third heaven and of course he wasn't allowed to tell us everything about it um, but yeah that's a tough one and, and I'm not sure when somebody gets to that point if you can convince them you know, God can convince them the Holy Spirit can convince them uh, but if they believe that it's not a literal place and they think you're wrong and believe it's a literal place then I don't know how much you can help someone like that other than try to point them to the scriptures you've done but ultimately, once you've exhausted, you've, you've shown them the scripture, you've taught them the truth, um, you know, what do you do then? You pray for them, right? There's items mentioned that are definitely tangible and things that we touch, like streets of gold and mm-hmm. gates mm-hmm. and the water flowing from the throne of God. Yep. I mean, all those are, are tangible things. Yep. Yep. So... What did y'all think? You're right. What would you? What did you think about him talking about uh, using our imaginations? Uh, our what's a good way of saying our sanctified imaginations, if you will, uh, impacted by truth? Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Is that wrong? Is it right? Is it something we should do? Is it something we shouldn't do? Did y'all catch that? What I'm talking about using your imagination to picture. Well, they said we should use scripture to fuel our imagination. Yeah. yeah. As long as it's biblically based, because don't we do that with pretty much a lot of scripture? Uh, we're reading the account of maybe Jesus' life. And so in our minds, we're kind of picturing maybe the cross. And we're kind of seeing, I don't know, maybe you don't picture things like some other baby picture things. Um, and you hit the key, Miss Betty, and it's making sure that it's influenced and impacted by the scripture. That you're biblically basing that. Because listen, no matter how awesome we can conjure up in our minds, heaven's going to be, it's going to be so much better. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so much better. Can't yeah, can't imagine the things. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot in day two. Was there anything else that stuck out to you in day two? Um, all right, well, if you think of something, we'll come back and maybe give you a few minutes at the end. Let's go to day three. And we're going to jump into what we're just talking about. Is it okay to imagine heaven as a literal place? Well, let's just back up for a moment and ask this question. How do we know it's okay to study about heaven and even talk about heaven? <clears throat> because obviously there's some that don't want to and some that uh, dread the idea. How do we know it's okay for us to do it? And why should we be studying it? Shouldn't we be more focused upon now and today and what God's given us now? How, is it okay to study about heaven? Is it okay to think about heaven? Oh, it's in the scripture. And that's the that's the obvious answer because it's our destiny and God gave us truth about heaven. And so he wants us. And what does the Bible say? All scripture. <clears throat> this sounds familiar, doesn't it? All scripture is inspired by God and is what? Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. For instruction in righteousness, the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly finished, uh, furnished into all good works. Dr. C.I., Doctrine, Approved, Correction, Instruction, and Righteousness. So the scriptures on heaven are in there for a reason, not just filler. God doesn't waste words. He doesn't mince words. He's clear in his word. Um, look at what he says there. Another pastor, all right, another pastor comes in the office, page uh, 16. 
visited Randy in his office asking what I was writing. A big book on heaven, I said. Well, he replied, since scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We just talked about that verse, didn't we? What will you be talking about? Obviously, we can't know what God has prepared for us in heaven. And of course, he's referring to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. The next question was, how would you have answered that pastor? You're writing the big book on heaven. He says, well, what are you going to say? No, nobody knows. Nobody, I can't hear. And but some things have been revealed, and then some things are kept, like I said, in secret so that uh, you know, we have that anticipation of looking forward to. Okay, good. But as he said in verse 10, you can read the next verse. Verse 10 says, God's revealed it to us by his Spirit. Yeah, he didn't read far enough. Yeah. Yeah. It says in verse 10, Now God has revealed them to us by the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. And so what happens is, if you only read the one verse, Mm -hmm. and you stop too soon, and you mentioned earlier about context, there we're talking about when are approaching Scripture to read the context, it's important we get the context of a passage and see um, in fact, he got to a point where he kind of cringes whenever he sees a book on heaven mentioned 1 Corinthians 2.9. It's a wonderful verse. It's just nearly always misused. It says precisely the opposite of what people cited to prove. God says he has revealed accurately what we could not know about heaven. He tells us about heaven in his word because he wants us to understand and anticipate what he waits for us. Uh, other people pull out the verse I've mentioned to you several times since I've been here as pastors, Deuteronomy 29.29. I told you it's one of the very first verses I was required to learn in theology class. Talking about the hidden things belong to the Lord our God. And so there's things that we're not going to know. But the rest of the verse, it doesn't stop there. It talks about the things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And so while we may not know everything, we do know some things. And while God hasn't told us everything, he did tell us some things. And so we're to study those things and hang on those things. Do you know when someone's misquoting scripture? Have to look it up. Do you know if you're misquoting scripture? Because we can very easily misquote scripture, can't we? Because we can take scripture and pull it out of its context, out of where it sets, and use it to apply to something else. So it's important for us to do what we talked about earlier, right? To compare scripture with scripture, to prove all things, to test all things, to make sure what we're being told is accurate. Uh, to make sure that what we're being told is lines up with the scripture. Uh, something that I, I've mentioned to our Sunday school class quite often is uh, when I was being raised, my father was a wonderful Christian, but he insisted on that my brothers and I read through the Bible every year. Mm-hmm. Well, after a number of years, all I was doing was reading the Bible, uh, you know, and I wasn't really understanding it or getting enough out of it. And it, we need to study the Bible. Mm-hmm. We're not, not just read it. Yeah. We need to study it and do it in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Commentaries through mm-hmm. you know, study Bibles or whatever. But yeah. I think that's one way that you can really zero in on what the Scripture really means and not get things out of context. Yes. And that's one of the... And that's, you know, I think a Bible checklist are wonderful tools... But at the same time, I've not done the read the Bible through in a year before. Um, But the thing about it is they can also be a hindrance if our whole goal is just to put a check mark. 
I got through that. I'm behind ten chapters today. <laughs> you know. Woo, praise the Lord. I got that. Put a check mark. What'd you read? Psalms. What did it say? Love God. You know. I've actually, I've done something. I haven't done this before. This year I'm using something. Do you all know uh, the name Robert Jeffress? Je- Robert no. Jeffries. You talking about? Him? He's a pastor out where W. Criswell was, First Baptist Dallas. Um, he's a senior pastor. You'll see him on Fox News a lot. They always have him on different times. Um, he's written some pretty interesting books. Um, program on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, he has Pathway to Victory. Um, but um, anyway, I have his uh, little uh, fifty. I think it's called Fifty Two Chapters. Every Christian should know. So this year, what I'm doing, instead of reading through the Bible, Genesis Revelation, is I'm using his guide and just taking a chapter a week. And so, and it's really amazing. If you've never done this before, and I recommend that one to, to you as well if you, if you need one. But to take and focus on one chapter for a whole week. You know, so each time you sit down, you read that chapter again. And you read that chapter again. You read that chapter again. And he has some questions in there and there's a place to make notes and place to write notes and pray and stuff. But the thing about it is you begin to really, and of course, they're going to be, some popular chapters, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, uh, so forth. But it goes through from different portions of the Bible. But to slow down and really focus. Let me ask you this question. Is it better to read three chapters and not know what you read? Or is it better to read three verses and really understand what God is saying to you? Yeah. We can read it, but when you stand there and preach, I think, gosh, I've never got that scripture before. Yeah, but don't get discouraged by that because I've spent the previous week studying that out. This didn't just come. I, I, I wish it did. <laughs> didn't just come, but I mean, you had to put the time and effort, and I, and I appreciate the church equipping me, you know, giving me the resources and the time to do that. Um, but and, and, and I sit and I listen to preachers and I see things and, and Sunday school classes, things, and that's what's amazing the body of Christ. God can show you something. You've read it a hundred times. I never saw that before. I've had a lot of people commenting about the fact they've never thought about, I mentioned about Satan not knowing mm-hmm. when Jesus is returning, so he has to have somebody ready to step into the role of the Antichrist. Well, there years went by, I never thought about that either. And I can't tell you who told me that and where I learned that. Uh, so I'll take credit. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but in all reality, it's growing in our knowledge of the Scripture. And I'm growing here. In fact, I'm learning more, and I've already been looking ahead and, and studying and thinking about the new earth and new heaven. Because I appreciate his emphasis on the new earth. And really, we'll talk about how maybe all that lines up and, and the new heaven and new earth and so forth. Because we talk about heaven, and a lot of people think about heaven, they think about, well, it's up there in the sky and the clouds. But what about the new Jerusalem? And the new earth and all those sorts of things. And of course, we're going to get there. And I said, let's don't get ahead of ourselves. Okay, let's don't get ahead of ourselves. Where are we at? Day three. Day three. We're to set our minds and hearts on heaven. Uh, Colossians 3, 1, on page 18, right under the little heading, setting our hearts and minds on heaven. God commands us to set our hearts and minds on heaven. And Colossians 3, 1 says it. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. To long for Christ is to long for heaven. And really, to long for heaven is to long for Christ because we know that we're going to be with him. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Why do you think God orders us? Here's the question, page 18. Why do you think God orders us to think deeply about heaven? Because he says, set your heart on, and, on things above 
Because you're thinking about your heavenly home, eternal things, the Savior, the Lord. Um, and, and, it, and it lifts our focus from here. I think about the song, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. Mm-hmm. And if you're having a bad day, you can think about that. Yeah. You know, this too shall pass. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Day four. We're, get, we're running out of time. There's a quote that they put out in your sidebar on page 21. I want to get your take on this. We should be shocked not that some people could go to hell, but that any would be permitted into heaven. You ever thought about that? A lot of people say, well, how can a holy God, how could God send people to hell? But really, the question is what? How could God allow anybody into heaven? Because we've all fallen. We're all sinned. Yeah, we're not worthy. We're wretched rebels and enemies of God until he redeems us. And so it's by his grace and his mercy. This is about hell and heaven here in this part. It says, for every American who believes he's going to hell, opening paragraph, page 20, for every American who believes he's going to hell, 120 believe they're going to heaven. So apparently, uh, I guess uh, one out of 121 believes they're going to hell and the other 120 believe they're going to heaven. Contrast this optimism to Christ's words. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few that find it. And so out of the 120 people that think they're going to heaven, how many are? Well, we don't know. But only those who know Jesus are going, no matter what they think. Jesus said what in John chapter 14, verse 6, I think is the reference. I am there is knowing him. Yeah. Not of him. Yes. That's the difference. Yeah. Having that personal relationship. John 14, 6 says, I am, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, through me, me alone. They gave you a pop quiz. This is talking about uh, hell and Satan and eternal punishment, but on page 22, I'm going to get your answers on these. It's true or false, so you got a 50-50 chance on the answers. Number one, we are more compassionate when we deny hell. True or false? Why? It hurts somebody's feelings. I don't want to hell. It's mean. How dare you say that I'm going to hell? You don't even know me. No, we know it's false. Compassion tells the truth. Would a doctor be compassionate if he says, you know, well, tells his associate in the hall, well, they've got cancer, they've got two weeks to live. He comes in and says, everything's great. See you next year. Is that compassion? No, that's criminal in a sense, isn't it? Second, when we deny hell, we set ourselves above God as morally superior, true or false? True. True. Uh, we say we know better than God. Our ways are higher than your ways, O oh God. Third, denying the existence of hell honors God's nature. False. We know that God is a God of grace and love and mercy, but he's also a God of wrath and a consuming fire. All of those are perfect. And then finally, if we admit anyone deserves hell, we convict ourselves. True or false? That's right. It's true. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. And by the way, I deserve hell. 
I deserve hell more than you deserve hell. I know me better than you know me. And probably most of you would say the same thing yourself. The most, uh, the person who's given me the most problem in my life, you know who it is? Me. (laughs) Me. I've had more problems with myself than anybody. It says there Jesus said more about hell than anyone else. He referred to it as a literal place and described it in graphic terms, including raging fires, darkness, teeth gnashing, and the worm that doesn't die. We read about it um, when we looked at the, uh, the end of the false prophet and the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet, on Sunday. They were cast into the lake of fire. And you have the great white throne judgment and those who deny uh, Christ are cast to the lake of fire. And Randy was very honest and transparent when it says on page 23, uh, after the C.S. Lewis paragraph, he says, I do not want to believe in it. I don't want to believe in hell. But if I make what I want or what others want the basis for my beliefs, then I am a follower of myself and my culture, not a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's absolutely right. I don't want people to go to hell. I've also said, talking about preaching on heaven, I say this, beware of any preacher who preaches on hell and seems glad that you're going. Let me say that again so you catch that. Beware of any preacher that preaches on hell and seems glad that you're going. Our hearts should break to think that people are going to hell. 250,000 people on average today, and that may be more or less because this book's a few years old, but um, regardless, we're within that ballpark. 250,000 people died today, and they either went to heaven or to hell. That's the reality of it. Uh, and so we don't want people to go to hell. God doesn't want people to go to hell. He says, I don't want any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. He sent him uh, that we might have life. Look at page uh, 24. Talking about the earth as the in-between world. It says, God and Satan are not equal opposites. Please understand that. Likewise, hell is not heaven's equal opposite. Just as God has no equal as a person, heaven has no equal as a place. But drop down to the next and last paragraph on that page. Earth is an in-between world touched by both heaven and hell. Earth leads directly into heaven or directly into hell, affording a choice between the two. Now listen to this. The best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. So think about the very best. I was thinking about today as I was doing my walk. You know, it's pretty out right now with the, the green and the flowers. And I was thinking, as pretty as this is, imagine no sin, no corruption, no evil, no fall, no, no thorns, no anything. As beautiful as it is now, imagine it perfect. So the best of life is a glimpse of heaven, and the worst of life is a glimpse of hell. Now, you've said this too, probably. For Christians, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. Here's what we usually say. For unbelievers, it is the closest they will come to heaven. If someone does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, the joy they have now is the best they're going to get. That's heartbreaking. Because God does not desire them to... To perish, he's made a way, but they must trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, day five, I've got to close with this, and that's this. Do you know you're going to heaven? Can you imagine how horrible it would be to take a class on heaven like this and then die and go to hell? Can you imagine? I believe you would rehearse for all eternity what we've talked about in this class. 
I think about those who sat in churches week in and week out and week in and week out and week in and week out and heard the gospel and heard about the cross and heard about the blood. And yet they never personally turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's not about just knowing of, as you just mentioned a moment ago. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Where you say, I don't want my sin, I want the Savior. I want Jesus. And you take him as your Lord and Savior. There was a story there about the lady who was a professional singer uh, who had an RSVP. I got two wedding invitations. Well, actually, I actually shouldn't say that. I got a wedding invitation and a wedding celebration invitation in the mail today. I guess tis the season of the year. But I thought about this story. Did y'all read the story about this professional singer, Ruth Anna uh, Metzger? And she goes and sings at a wedding, and it's an elaborate, uh, luxurious thing. But when she goes to the reception, what happened? Your name's not on the list. Why wasn't on the list? She did not RSVP. I told my wife today, make sure you turn the RSVP in. (laughs) Have you RSVP for heaven? Is your name in the book of life? Is it in the Lamb's book of life? Did we just read about there in a great way? Whoever's name was not found in the book was cast to the lake of the fire, where Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet are. And so it says there that we must personally, and we all know this from our our history and and church, but knowing it and doing it are two different things. And so I want to challenge you tonight to look at the check boxes on page 29. If you haven't done the study yet, you can look there. Yours may be blank right now if you did. Were you able to check those boxes? I've confessed my sins. I've asked Christ to forgive me. I place my trust in Christ's death and resurrection on my behalf. I ask Jesus to be my Lord and empower me to follow Him. Have you done that? If not, can I urge you with all that I have and all that I am to please don't make the mistake and forget to RSVP. Please make sure that that is settled. Keep me back after, I'd love to talk with you after church. There are many of you who would love to help you in that regard. And you say, well, I'm a church member. I'm this or not. That, that, that's not the issue. God's not going to say, well, you're a church member. Is, is, is her name in the book? Is his name in the book? Have they trusted my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? Make sure that's right. Look on the page 30, and I'm sorry we're out of time. I would love to open it up more, but look at page 30. And thank you for your interaction. Thank you for talking, and we'll keep building on that. That's probably one of the best groups we've had of discussion and answers we've had in a long time. Look at this part right here. I love this. I highlight it in my book. You are made for a person and a place. Jesus is the person. Heaven is the place. They are a package. You cannot get heaven without Jesus or Jesus without heaven. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm moving up on that list about where are you. I'm getting closer and closer to getting ready to can't stand it. To think about how glorious heaven is going to be. This week, beloved, we're going to launch into week two, understanding the present heaven. Uh, We'll start there on uh, page 31, and we'll cover that, and we'll look at the present heaven and future heaven and so forth as we study that. There are more books out there if you want an extra copy for somebody or whatever. This would be an excellent thing to give to a lost uh, friend. 
or, or, or um, a lost loved one maybe, or say, listen, we're going through, I bought you a book, you might want to look at it or whatever, or offer to go through it with them. You know, say, look, would you mind doing this? You know, we talk about this. What about a coworker at, at lunch? You know, there's all kinds of ideas. You can use this as an evangelism tool. So have you ever thought about heaven? We're doing a study on heaven in our church, and I, I wouldn't mind, I've got you a book here. Would you mind, you know, we'll go through this together. I could use that. I'm going to heaven, can't wait. Y'all remember that chorus? Mm-hmm. Going to see Jesus? That poor pastor, I don't know where he's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he got straightened out, but I can't wait. Father, thank you for heaven. We know heaven means Jesus. Because we can't have one without the other. And so, Father, I pray that you'll help us to grow in our excitement and our enthusiasm and our longing for heaven. Keep us, to rem- keep us remembering that this is not our home. We are just pilgrims passing through. I pray, Lord, if anybody in here has any doubt whatsoever, Lord, would you just give them the courage to speak to someone else in this class or myself and get that settled tonight to make sure that heaven is their home and Christ is their Savior. Bless us as we go our separate ways. Bless all the children that are leaving. Bless the choir as they practice. May you be praised in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.